You're listening to a podcast by Oak Magazine. I would like to acknowledge the Dja Wurrung people as the traditional owners of the land on which this episode was recorded. I pay my respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Welcome to A Friend of Mine, a series of conversations with some incredible and inspiring women in business from regional and rural Australia. I'm Kimberly Finesse your host and the founder and editor of Oak Magazine. And I cannot wait to introduce you to some amazing female entrepreneurs who will share with you their experience and knowledge of what it takes to start, grow and scale a successful business. So let me introduce you to a friend of mine. Sarah Stamm is an interior designer turned creator of Handmade Treasures. As the founder of Salisbury and Maud, Sarah creates exquisite, luxurious and beautiful wreaths, quilts and knitted keepsakes from her home in Beechworth, Victoria. Sarah doesn't take her creative life for granted. Aged 22, she was crossing a street in Sydney when she was run over by a bicycle courier. The nerves in her right arm were seriously damaged and she sustained a permanent 20% loss of use in that arm and hand. This is only one part of her incredible journey through life. In a delving and honest conversation, Sarah takes us through the phases of her life, from growing up in Aubrey, studying interior design, caring for loved ones who are terminally unwell, and the process of learning to let go of ego. There are blissful moments, and then others which Sarah looks back on with a tinge of sadness. Meet my friend Sarah from Salisbury and Maud. Hello, Sarah, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Kimberly. It is so good to have you on. I know this has been, um, I want to say, it's not even a few months, is it? It, I could say it's been over a year (laughs) in the planning, but you know, we all know what life has been like in the last two years. Everything's been stop and start. But in between then, we've actually had a chance to meet up in person, which has been amazing. Yep. That was a great little opportunity. Yeah, so that was um, the Wodonga Startup Shake Up event uh, in March and um, I was lucky enough to be guest speaker there and I I just want to sort of, you know, divert off what we're going to talk about today but you actually asked me a question. Can you remember the question that you asked? I think I asked you what's next. Yes, yep, love to put people on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) Is that right? You did. (laughs) Yeah, it is. (laughs) So you asked me, um, what's next for Oak? And, you know, this was the first time that I'd actually spoken out loud that I wanted to do a podcast van, you know, at that sort of at that time, it was just this like little crazy little idea, like a, a bit of an imagine if I have these things where I go, imagine if I could start a magazine and, you know, it sort of come to life. And at this stage, it was imagine if I could have a podcast van and drive around and interview rural women um, in their hometowns. And anyway, I spoke that out and obviously the formalities are finished and, you know, started mingling and so many people come up and they're like, my gosh, that's a great idea. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? You know, I work for MBN and it'd be really good if we could partner and do this and that. And I just left that that whole event just buzzing and thinking, this might be not an imagine if or a what if. This is how do I make this work? This this could work. Yeah. So, um, and obviously I've got a van now in my driveway. Um, so <laughs> thank you for asking the question. <laughs> Oh look, hey, I'm I'm all about putting it out there. You've got to put it out there and and you know, it will come. Yeah, you're a big believer of that? Yeah, big believer of that. Done that my whole life, really. I was gonna say, can you give me an example of of when you've, you know, spoken something out? I suppose it's manifestation really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think when it was really um when I became really conscious of what I was doing was when I was about 22, 23 and I was working at David Jones. I was working in a really cool spot behind the scenes. So it wasn't, you know, I wasn't on the shop floor. It was a position that I really enjoyed, but I also started interior design doing studying at night and I really, really wanted a job in interior design, just that first job, that little junior job, you know, the the office hack job. Um, Your foot in the door. Yep, my foot in the door. And every day I said to myself, I'm going to do something to get myself that job. 
So it was sometimes it was just something as small as reading, you know, a job, you know, vacancy in the newspaper or sometimes it was going to actual interviews. Sometimes they were little, sometimes they were big things. But as long as I did something every day to get myself to to where I wanted to be and that, yeah, that was when I was really conscious of, hmm, okay, I'm really putting this out there and, and then, it, you know, it happened. So and I've done that ever since. Amazing. So that's just, you know, maybe something for everyone else to keep in mind. Just, yeah, speak it out loud. And and even if it is telling one person, sometimes you need to tell someone for them to feedback and say, hey, that's a really good idea. You know, have you tried? Yeah, telling someone is, you know, making you accountable for it as well. But most importantly, and it sounds a bit funny, but telling yourself, like reminding yourself daily of what it is you want whether you speak it out loud to yourself or you read it or you just just close your eyes and think it, I think that's the most powerful because then you believe it. You know, if you, you repeat it enough times, you'll start to believe it. You will. Well, let's start back at the start, hey? Okay. <laughs> now, I recently read a post on your Instagram and it was just about the phases in your life and there was about seven of them Uh, and I just found that I know I've already sent you questions before the interview. Um, I just feel that everyone needs to prep, you know, and it's all about finding those files, um, pulling them out and being prepared. It's not about a scripted conversation or anything, but (laughs) I'm going to throw you a curveball because I've looked at those and I'm like, that's actually a really great story arc for this episode. So I thought, why don't we start with phase one? And that was growing up in regional New South Wales, so Albury. And I just want you to share with us what parts of your childhood have impacted your adult life? Like what things happened when you were a kid sort of growing up that, you know, you can look back and say, yeah, I I built resilience out of that. Or, you know, I was a really creative kid. This is sort of what I did as a kid. And I can see how that puzzle piece has come into to later life. Well, life back in Albury, it was a small country town back then. And I guess the, the what comes to mind first and foremost is that I was very sheltered it was very, everybody knew everybody. Everyone, there were a few different high schools or primary schools, but everyone knew everybody from all the different schools. We all played sport against each other or with each other on the weekends or, you know, we'd all be riding our bikes around madly around town and arriving at the Aubrey Pool in the middle of summer to go swimming together or, you know, it was very, very sheltered, protected and um, it was easy going. It wasn't a rat race. It was just a slow but steady pace growing up. Um, I guess then, you know, that that taught me a lot, you know, um, because, you know, you've all everybody moves away to go to university when you live in a small country town and you very quickly realise what fast pace means. And I think a lot of rural people... Um, you know, people that grow up in in a country town, they long for that slow pace again. And a lot of us do return back home. So in terms of um, growing up, um, I'm so pleased I grew up in a rural town. I really am. You know, as a creative kid, um, yeah, it was interesting. I didn't have a lot of opportunities uh, at one point, mum and dad tried to look at sending me to boarding school so that I could access more sort of of an arts program um, that didn't, you know, they couldn't really afford to do that. So, you know, you do miss out on things because you, it's not all accessible, you know, major art galleries and art exhibitions and, um, you know, even even materials and, and, you know, it's not all there at the drop of a hat. So it's quite different. But yet, you make the most of it. And, um, you know, I was still able to be as creative as I wanted to be. And, um, you know, then, then the city beckoned and I sort of took off from there. Mm. Now you mentioned university, you followed the path of uni Mm. and how did that go for you? That was a bit of a mixed bag. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it was certainly a lesson in, you know, try and try again and, and resilience and never giving up. 
so I started, um, I went to Canberra University. The school, the school sort of steered me. I, I really wanted to be an architect is what I wanted to do. But the school careers advisors didn't think my maths was strong enough, which now I realise is, you know, I would have been absolutely fantastic, I think, through the architectural course because it's it's a different way of thinking. It's a spatial kind of mathematics and it's, um, you know, it's, it's yeah, I, I think I probably should have followed that path, but it wasn't meant to be. Do you look back at it as a regret at all? Um, yeah, I kind of do. Yeah. I kind of yeah. do and I think, um, but, you know, it's just a sliding doors moment, you know. You sort of think, oh, I could have gone on that direction. But yet interior design is so closely related and a lot of people, it's one thing I sort of wish that society would talk more about is the difference between interior designers and interior decorators because they're t- vastly different. But interior design is more about structure and and space planning. So in a sense, my course now is called Interior Architecture, the course I did. So um, I can't call myself that, but yet that's what the course is now. But that gives people a much better idea of what interior designers actually do. So in a sense, I, I have gone sort of walked a parallel path, if you like. So yeah, it, it regret maybe, but still I've had a fantastic, you know, career. Um, but yeah, so university, so started advertising and marketing. <laughs> Who would have known? At Canberra Uni, and that didn't quite work out. Got glandular fever and um, probably kissing too many boys back those days. <laughs> um, so then I um, came back home, went over to Perth and hung out with my brother and sister over there and applied for UWA, University of Western Australia, to do arts and art teaching at Melbourne Uni and talk about sliding doors moment because I got into both. So I had to decide was I going to stay in Perth or would I go to Melbourne? So decided to go to Melbourne. I had my sister was studying in Melbourne at the same time. So we thought, well, we can live together and, you know, let's do that. So did art teaching at Melbourne Uni for a few years and then that course closed down and morphed into a completely different course with a lot more media and sort of areas I wasn't really interested in going into. So um, I transferred to Sydney College of Fine Arts to continue art teaching and <laughs> lined up that was before you know a lot of things were computerized and you know it was back in the dark ages Kimberly <laughs> really <laughs> but um lining up at the desk ready to enroll and get all my you know all my subjects and when everything was on and they just looked at me and said have you been sent form xyz and I said no I never received form xyz and they said well, well you can't study so I think I just burst into tears and went and rang mum and dad and sort of, um, you know, my whole world just fell apart at that point. So gathered myself together and started working at David Jones and then started interior design and never looked back. There are moments where, you know, things like that happen in your life and you're just like, why does it have to be this hard, you know? Um, And I think what gets you through those moments. And I, I feel like I've picked up this word, you know, reading that Insta post and, and obviously getting to know you a bit is resilience. Like that seems to be, you know, one of your traits that, you know, you fall back on and you're able just to get back up and push forward. Yeah. I always visualise my path and I always say that I always fall off into the gutter. <laughs> like like I visualise a dirt road with big sort of deep gutters, you know, in an old, you know, just a dirt road out in the country. And I always fall in those gutters like we all do. We all have those moments where we fall in or somebody pushes you off and they push you into that gutter. And I've, I've always, you know, visualised myself sort of crawling back up onto the road and pulling myself back up and just keep on walking. I feel like that would be the same for myself, except I'd probably lie there for a little minute. And just go, <laughs> like, what is happening with me? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm just that whole, like, why does it have to be so hard? But again, just that ability I know that I have within myself to pick myself up and yep. keep going. And yep. it's so exhausting some days, um, but I suppose, I don't want to say, but greatness comes through it. 
Like you yeah. know that you become a stronger person and you're just collecting all these, I suppose, it's like a Mario game, collecting these little coins yep. for strength and to get you through. And I know just reading about phase three for you, um, it got tougher and tougher, you know. Um, tell me about what we, what you regard as phase three in your Instagram post, which, just to help you out a little bit, is all about finding your feet in Sydney um, and obviously entering interior design course which was offered to what was it like 2,000 applicants yeah um yeah and you were one of 30 selected which is absolutely incredible oh it was an absolute highlight of my life going through that process but also one of the most devastating moments of my life so I decided you know halfway through that year yep I'll I'll take on interior design I'll apply for the course and it was a quite a rigorous um, process to apply. So we needed to present a folio of work, of artworks, and they provided us with a brief and we had to create and draw a, an interior based on the brief. So this is before, you know, we knew anything about an interior design course. So they were really testing us to see if we could draw in perspective and, um, you know, what our drawing skills were like because back then, again, it was all before computerised drawings, so hand drawing was paramount. So I was preparing that that folio of work and this is where the devastating part came in. I was at work um, in the city, in the CBD of Sydney, one lunchtime and standing at the pedestrian lights to cross into the staff entrance of David Jones and the light went green for pedestrians and the cars on a one-way street were stopped. So I sort of glanced to make sure those cars were stopped, not to be, not realising there was a bicycle courier coming up the one-way street the wrong direction and he ploughed straight into me and my right arm and so my right arm took the full force of a fully grown man and his bike. My wallet was in my hand, my purse, and it flew up in the air and every single piece of con- the contents flew out all over, you know, the street. Um, this is, you know, Elizabeth Street in Sydney. So um, at lunchtime, and I can just remember not one person came to my aid, not one, and I can remember all the people on the footpath with their jaws just open, just looking at me. And this bike courier who got himself off off the ground, he said, oh, I've got to rush off to a job, and got on his bike and left. And he had his backpack and his walkie-talkie thing and and a helmet and his bike, And he, but he hadn't, his bike was spray-painted and he didn't have any identification, you know, no business logos on his shirt or anything. So I couldn't actually identify him. So... Over the course, how old were you at the time, Sarah? Twenty-two. Oh gosh, living in Sydney on my own. Yeah. Um. So over the course of a week, my this finger started to die, so it wouldn't move at all. And then my thumb went, and then this finger went, and then this finger. And by that time, the I've been sent to numerous surgeons, specialists around Sydney who were all trying to work out what was going on because basically my hand was dying. At the same time, I'm trying to finish my folio of work to get into my interior design course and I'm right-handed. So um, it was the most excruciatingly painful time. I had pain all the way up my arm, like my arm was on fire. Um, And then this palsy. So eventually a hand surgeon... um, invited all the surgeons around Sydney together and they sat me in, on a chair and they discussed my case, like a dozen surgeons. And the next day they put me in surgery and found that the impact had entrapped my nerves so my arm was dying. So they got in quickly and sort of released everything and, and um, got the nerve out and then they said they could just literally see the blood going down my arm. So it saved my hand, um, but I have got 20% less use of the hand. So I have no pinch grip. I can't pinch anything and doing up buttons and hair and, you know, trying to do things is quite difficult. 
Um, and then so through all of that, I actually completed a folio of work, sat an interview amongst 2,000 people and I was one of 30 to be selected into my course. So I had the surgery in October and then at the start of that next year I was in the interior design course studying at night and um, very proudly I finished at the top of my class after five years. I was that determined. I was that determined and I loved what I did and I wanted that career and, yep, I I I did it. I did it really well. <laughs> so, yeah, it was tough, very tough. So that guy just took off. So he's never, there was never anything around that that you could no, like, do. I, but the thing is because I worked in a job in, in David Jones, which was corporate services, so I was dealing with all the major companies around Australia and basically shopping on their behalf. It was a great job. Um, but all the couriers would come into my office to collect the goods that were going off to all the different companies. So I was very connected to the courier sort of agencies at that time. So I, the thing, the thing is though, and so when I was walking through Mountain Place one day, I saw him and I rang the policeman who was, you know, he was the policeman that took care of my case and took down the details. Um, I said to him, I'm looking at him. You know, I was at a pay phone because it was before mobile phones even. I'm at a pay phone. I'm saying, I'm looking at him. I'm staring at him right now. And he said, there's nothing we can do because you couldn't you couldn't prove and identify who he was. So, no, nothing happened. And he, yeah. yeah. Do you still feel anger? Like what's what sort of emotion do you have I feel associated sadness. with that time, sadness um, now. Yeah. yeah, sadness for that 22-year-old who was, mm. you know, on the verge of great things and doing fantastic things. It just it made it so much harder for me at that time and the pain. I can't, I cannot explain. Nerve pain is just one of those things and a nerve grows back a millimetre a day. So I had to grow my nerve back from my elbow to the tips of my fingers. So it took a long, long, long time. And it's nerve damage is something that we can't see. No. In that person either. So that's, that's sometimes right. hard as well when, you know, you have an injury or a disability that <laughs> is not visible, if that makes yeah. sense as well. Yeah. 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 It's almost like he pushed you into the ditch like when you were talking yep. about the dirt road and you know yep. sometimes we fall in is that where you sort of feel that that metaphor of being pushed in is quite possibly moment yeah quite possibly not a psychologist here by any means Sarah <laughs> <laughs> like but that that is just that's quite ironic um yeah. and probably very true because I was literally pushed into that gutter mm. and yeah talk about yeah uh I, I think back now, I don't know how I did it, how how I, on my own, you know, I didn't know anybody. I was, um, yeah, I don't know how I did it really. Uh, I think I there's think. some country kid in there though as well. Yep. You know, I, I think yep. there is something uniquely different about city and country yep. kids, the Absolutely. way we grow up. We're not resilient. Yeah, there's just something about us that <laughs> we've yep. got more grit determination that independence um yes you've just got to you've got to find a way you know you've just got to do it and find a way are you always stressing and guessing when it comes to your social media marketing do you feel like your effort doesn't bring the results you need or you don't know how to check well you need to check out my friend mac and ernie Erica McInerney is a qualified marketing strategist with 25 years real experience, putting advertising, marketing and social media to work. She's focused on regional and rural businesses, teaching you the skills and confidence to develop strategy, measure results and keep that content machine running. For free tips, follow Mac and Ernie on social media or head to macandernie.com.au to find out more. Now back to the show. Are we going to step into a happier phase? Oh, yes, for Phase four. <laughs> um, did you establish your own business at any point? Is that sort of what came next, like, you know, yes. building your own interior design? So I did work for 
different people throughout my course, um, different interior design practices, architectural practices. And um, by the time I graduated, I'd set up my own business. So I was just working, working from home and working with inner city clients, North Shore and Eastern Suburbs clients of Sydney. Um, I, yeah, I don't know why, in a sense, it's always been innate in me to run my own business, but it, it just always seemed natural to me that I was going to do things my way, my hours, my values, from, a, from an early age, and I'm not sure why. I mean, n- neither of my parents ran their own businesses, so it wasn't sort of, you know, role modelling from them. Um, and I've got, you know, brothers and sisters that are much older than me, but they didn't really run their own businesses. So my sister did a bit later on. But, yeah, it's always been something innate in me and it started, you know, from early like 28 I think I was and started my own design practice and then I've never worked for anybody since and I don't think I could work for anybody (laughs) I think that's what the common thing everybody says yeah I was gonna say I think I'm getting to that point yeah (laughs) no I'm definitely at that point yeah I actually had a friend that reminded me um and said Oh, it wasn't even reminding, it just commented that, um, yeah, you're way past working for anyone now. Like you, we couldn't bring someone like you in. <laughs> like, no. She works in HR. And I'm yeah. like, well, thanks. She goes, no, no, goes, it's just, it's too slow of a pace. Like you are so used to pivoting and, and moving really quickly. She goes, I feel that the red tape would be just, you know, yes. far too infuriating for you. And I'm like, oh, you're actually probably onto a good thing there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> would yeah. Be. What I what I loved about phase four, what you talked about in terms of, you know, building your businesses in Sydney and Beechworth was that, um, you know, it was a busy phase, but happily I stood tall, worked incredibly hard, a proud employer of local women, leader within my community and industry and role model to my then young children. Like that is such a beautiful thing to write about yourself, I think. Oh. Yeah. And to recognize within yourself. Yes. And I think that's what that sort of self-reflection provides you. And writing that post was quite cathartic for me in a sense. But, you know, and I, I rewrote that a few times. It's sort of, you know, I had to, um, you know, you have to sort of be confident enough to say I'm proud of myself. And, you know, it's okay to say I'm proud of these things that I've done and, I believe I was a good person in doing things for my community and I did employ people and, you know, it's a little bit of a pat on the back for, for, for what you've achieved. And I think it's, it's okay to, to do that. It's not easy though. It's like I said, I had to rewrite that a few times and say, no, own this, Sarah, you, you, you were, you were a community leader at that point. Um, yeah, so it was, it was, we can as be nice to write as it possibly was for you to read. Yeah. Oh, good, good. Um, I feel like we're going to dip again into um, some more challenging times. It feels like a little roller coaster. This is so like life and business, isn't it? It is. My gosh. Um, <laughs> and now that I'm interviewing you, I'm thinking, oh, maybe this wasn't a great thing to take us through, like <laughs> such an emotional <laughs> roller coaster. <laughs> That's okay. It, it, it all turns out. It all turns out well. Um, so again, you obviously had your businesses, but of course, things just don't seem to want to stay on that path, do they? Um, and you just had another couple of hurdles in the fact that you needed to close your retail stores. Why did you have to? And was that a hard decision? Why? Why is really difficult. I had um, my mum got very unwell and she had cancer. So she needed me to help her through her treatment um, through that period. At the same time, another close family member got cancer as well. So I had two people to look after at the one time. And... (sighs) If I if I said to you before I don't know how I got through my arm accident, I can tell you categorically I don't know how I got through this period of my life. It's like a blur. So I had two little kids. 
I had my shop, my interior design business, which had eight month waiting list of interior design clients. It was huge. It was booming, absolutely booming. But priorities kicked in, you know, I mean, nothing is more important than looking after your family. So that is why I had to close the the shop. It also happened that it was time to renew the lease of my shop. Um, And the landlord was asking for another two by two years. And I was thinking, okay, well, that's taking me a long way into the future. And we'd built a house as well. So I had a space at home where I could work from, from interior design point of view. So putting it all together, it just made sense that something had to give. And it was that beautiful luxury of having a a wonderful retail space, which was, you know, for an interior designer to actually be in a space that was beautiful. I was in a heritage listed building in the middle of Beechworth magnificent floor space, timber floors, big coffered ceiling, timber lined, beautiful double frontage windows so I could do beautiful window displays. People loved my shop and I loved my shop. But that that was the one thing that had to give. So, um, yeah, I closed the doors of the retail space, finished up the eight-month sort of design clients got them through got them all sorted pretty quickly um, because I wasn't working in the retail as well so I could manage interior design work a lot faster and then I was free to look after my my loved ones and my little my kids who were still primary school so you know um, yeah that was that was that was a big time of my life yeah yeah. mm. do you still walk past that building at all I do. Yeah. I what can't go in there like? though. I cannot go in. It has, there's a couple of reasons. I mean, it, it was such an amazing experience for me and for my customers. And I, a day doesn't go by where someone doesn't stop me and say, oh, Sarah, I miss your shop. And I know I miss it too. You know, and I miss the contact with people and especially in a country town. And it was always such a positive, beautiful space where people weren't hounded. It was a big space of people, you know, you could see a mum pushing a pram and she would just spend an hour just while the baby slept enjoying looking at everything and we just left her, would leave her alone, you know. It was just a shop like that. It was beautiful. Um, the other reason it's hard to walk in there, it's a little bit out there, but at that point in my life I decided to let go of ego. First of all, I understood what ego was because it's a very, very difficult thing to understand. But once you understand it, if you can let go of it, it'll change your life. So when I locked the door for the last time, I left my ego in that shop. Mm. So I I don't really want to go back. It's a funny yeah. thing. No, I think it's really interesting that you attach ego to a retail space as well because I feel like so many of us do it um, in that, you know, when we have a retail store, if we, I suppose if we close the doors or you know, whether we're forced to or it's by our own choice, it's just that little bit of, you know, am I good enough still even though I don't have that store? Is that sort of how you? It it was more, it was more holistic. It was, you know, I don't, I don't need to push so hard anymore. I don't need to, you know, just constantly sort of hound, hound, hound to try and get the jobs or get, be in a magazine or to be, to be what I want to be, I just I just left all of that. I just let it go. I just let that rest and just live. And things come to me now rather than me. You know, I'm I'm more like the, you know, I'm not I'm more like the the um the hare and not the fox. You know, I'm not the yeah, one yeah. doing the chasing anymore. I just yeah. it's a bit like that. Um, yeah, so living without ego, it's it's an interesting thing, but it's it's a very peaceful place to be. Mm. Any resources that you looked up or used or read or, <gasps> you know, anything like that around this? There, there have been, and I've put posts up on Instagram about it over the years, and I, I just I can't remember the resources, but 
um, certainly if you look at my Instagram page and go back through, I do speak about living without ego and there's a few good quotes on there. Yeah, um, I'll find them and I'll pop them yeah. in the show notes for yeah. everyone. It's yep. quite a well-researched sort of area but, you know, it's an interesting thing to research is what ego actually is. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously shops closed. Um, where to from there? So, ha- you know, have you stepped back into interior design or is it more into the, the craft side of it? Mm-hmm. So, uh, this is, so we're talking about eight years creative. ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, always creative. Never Once you're creative, you can never let go of that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're talking about a point that was about eight years ago now. And so I did um, finish up the interior design clients, help my mum. She unfortunately passed away. My other family member is thankfully fine now. Um, but what I did through that period was I I looked around at what resources I had at, at home. You know, I didn't have time, space or finances to really delve into anything at that point, certainly no energy. So I just looked around at what I had at home and I think this is something really important for any creatives that you don't need a big financial budget or, um, you know, access to the best materials or just look at what's accessible to you and what you can manage and start from there. So that's what I did. So I have a lot of fabric. (laughs) I have a lot of fabric. Um, so I've, I've collected fabrics for 25 years. So I started to make things from my fabric. So I actually started making some quilts and I made them for friends and people were loving them, just loving them. So then I started selling them to friends. <laughs> and um, yeah, so, you know, they're patchwork quilts. I'm not a quilter. I've never learnt quilting, but I'm creative and I can sew and I majored in textiles at university, so I've got a pretty good idea of how to put things together. But I'm not a quilter's quilter, if you like. So my quilts are patchwork, and the whole premise around that was these fabrics are just so exquisitely beautiful with patterns or prints or textures that I, I made the squares a size that you would read a fair bit of pattern. And that then required me to hand cut every single square. So I've cut ten thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of squares over eight years. Um, and that is because I place the right piece of pattern in every single square that people see. So the quilts were the start. Then I started making little bunnies for Easter time and Christmas decorations at Christmas time. And um, I just continually just made things and you know, original ideas. I've never never copied anybody. I don't copy patterns. I just make things up myself. So that just sort of evolved and kept kept going. And then, you know, I was so against social media. I was one of those, no way. I'm, you know, telling my kids, get off that Instagram stuff, you know, la la la. And then I sort of thought, look, if I don't, if I don't understand what my kids are doing on there, then, you know, I'm in the dark and, you know, if I don't understand it, it's not a good thing. So I thought, all right, I'll get on and try and understand this social media thing. And then I sort of connected the dots and I thought, okay, I can sell my things on here. And that's where it sort of all started. So it's like I have my shop again, but it's all on social media. It's all virtual. So happy days, happy, happy days. Amazing. Now, I know that print mags have also played a little role in really just elevating your brand. Uh, And especially, as you said, on Instagram. Um, Did you want to tell me a little bit about that and how that has helped with where you are today? So it's interesting with the magazine, um, magazines. So right back to 2007, I was in House and Garden with my house in Sydney. Um, So that's where that sort of experience started, although I was working with a designer a long time ago in Sydney and she was in magazines almost weekly. Her work was just fabulous. So I was very used to the the photo shoot day and how to put it all together and the styling and how to deal with the media, um, print media, and I was, you know, that was part of my role. 
so I guess morphing, you know, all of that from, you know, into it benefiting me was not such a difficult move. So, yeah, it started with House and Garden in 2007 and then my shop was in Home Beautiful and then Women's Weekly have been fantastic to me. There's um, a style editor there called Maddie Cronin and she has been fantastic. She's put my beautiful quilts into quite a few little shoots. Um, so, you know, they've been fantastic because they do give you that um, social proof and they give you just that little, you know, leg to stand on and, and um, that credibility. So it's really, really instrumental for small businesses. So Oak Magazine, you're doing such a great job, Kimberly. what you oh, think because I'm on the other end and I know it can just, it can just bolster your business and, um, you know, so what you're doing, phew, my hat goes off to you. It's brilliant. Um, yeah, I think my biggest moment though was going into the country, into country style. I mean, let's face it, we've all got the stack. Um, you've got, you know, the huge stack I'd imagine <laughs> with your magazine collection. But we all collect the magazines and we all have grown up with country style. It's just that um, that constant, you know, their quality and their um, their ability to find the story and the, the imagery. It's just beautiful. And it's such a... Um, singing the praises of country Australia it's just it's quintessential which almost leads us into what you wrote about sort of that seventh phase that last phase and that was almost manifesting for more of that type of I suppose I don't want to say exposure but collaboration um, marketing storytelling the whole lot so what's next for you? What what do you want to happen next? It's It's been something that I've been contemplating a lot lately. Maybe it's that I'm turning 50 this year. I'm coming to that intersection, that really big <laughs> intersection. It's coming along very quickly. Um, whether it's that or, you know, I'm not sure, but I have been contemplating the what next a lot lately. Um, I think... One of the main things is, you know, I, I want to share my story and as you've said, and it is a bit of a cliche, but it, it's very fitting for my story, is resilience and that when the twists and turns in life happen, you know, there are people that can help you through and stories that can can help you see through those times. So there's that. There's also an overwhelming sort of... Um, story to be told about being creative and and that you can make a living out of being creative and my followers talk about this a lot with me and they they really appreciate seeing somebody who's actually doing it and it gives them a lot of inspiration so I really want to talk to the creative communities and tell them to keep on creating um and then you know, it's all about um, confidence. And I think it's something rather interesting. And I don't know if you've come across this, Kimberly, but I think that there's a lot of women who are quite accomplished, have done some great things, maybe wanting to move into a new area or change, but they're lacking confidence. And I'm coming across this quite often, and I don't know quite why. Because I, I think confidence is in all of us, that courage, but tapping into it, I'm finding that a lot of women are finding it difficult to tap into confidence. Yeah, there's just that doubt, I think, that seed of doubt that holds us back from so many things and the what-if scenarios. And I suppose for me, I've become more confident in business because, like you said, um, you know, you didn't have parents that were in business or anything like that. And I didn't either. I didn't have those influences and I didn't go to uni. So I, it's always that piece of paper where I think I'm just not smart enough to have a business. I mean, I didn't go to uni. Um, but I've found 
really in the last 12 months, um, having confidence to encourage. And it, it could be coming back to that Agri-Futures Rural Women's Award, sort of being a state finalist, I think, just that little bit of validation. But yeah, I probably have the confidence now to go and have a crack. And those what-if scenarios for me, I play them out and I come up with some ideas of how I could almost, um, how I could overcome them if they, you know, if it happens. So the van, what if it doesn't work? Well, come Christmas time, there's always someone looking for, you know, people to career around items. I can do that, you know, worst case scenario. You know, what if it doesn't work? I can sell the damn thing. But I suppose my other, what I've found through Oak, the stories that I hear, the women that I interview is that so many of us, we're just redefining the word failure. So yeah, so many of us do. We we trip up, stumble, um, businesses don't work out the way we do, but that's, that's okay. That's exactly right. You know, so I think that's where that confidence comes in for me. It's like, well, if it doesn't work out, it's fine. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'll just, there'll be something else and I'll find another way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and, and also I think what helps sometimes is having that support network behind you. Like I, I am very lucky to have a partner who is just like, have a crack. Like if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You know, stop beating yourself up about it. It'll be fine. And I think that's his thing all the time. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. So I think the more that, you know, you can tell your story, and I can tell my story about basically, you know, I mean, I came from very little. I've worked really hard. I've just, I have stood tall and I've, I've, you know, I've tried and tried and tried again and I've kept on working toward my goals little by little. Um, the more we can tell that story, I think the more it will help others to tap into what's inside them and that they can make those steps too. So that's part of what I really want to do in the future. Yeah, and redefining success too, maybe Sarah. Like you know, what what vision, what version of success that looks for you? Like for me, it's happiness and and doing something I love to do every day and having flexibility with my family. Yeah. Well, um, I think that's what I love oh, the most. Exactly. Like I'm in charge. Yep. Oh, I'm the boss. Absolutely. <laughs> that's it. And I've been creating um, a, a new series of quilts lately that are um, a lot of my offcuts. So my quilts are now a completely zero waste project, which is really, really, yeah, really I'm proud of that. Yep. But they're called wabi-sabi quilts and wabi-sabi is a Japanese phrase that means perfectly imperfect and it's celebrating the imperfectness of, you know, say copper when it ages and it has that patina. It's you know, applauding that and, and loving that that aging process and that imperfection. So I think we can apply that to what we're talking about here as well with our, you know, with with women in business and women's confidence and trying things is it doesn't have to be perfect. I mean, celebrate the, those little imperfections and allow them to come through. And there's a great um, knitter, Kay Facet, He's he creates these amazing jumpers and he's very he's you know textile master. I remember as a little girl pulling that book off my mum's out of my mum's stack of books and reading the start. You know all the patterns are in there for his knitting, but at the very front he had a blurb, and he wrote in there that if you make a mistake, leave it in there. Don't try and unpick it. Don't leave it there because that's what creates the character and creates the story and creates the uniqueness. And that's sort of this whole wabi-sabi imperfectly perfect scenario. Well, I'll try and keep that in mind when I get the new issue of Oak in my hot little hands and I see all these commas in <laughs> <should be. laughs> We're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh <laughs> That's so funny. Um, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I my favorite question, we've come to my favorite question. Um, and that is can you tell me about a friend of yours that we all need to know? Oh about? yes. You need to know about Mel at Clay Beehive. Mel is a oh, ceramicist. Yes. She lives down the hill from me and She's very, very clever at what she does. She's creatively incredible. Um, she's an absolute salt of the earth, beautiful country girl, 
And the great thing about Mel and I is we bounce off each other. So we'll have coffee and we can talk about, oh, this is happening on Instagram or have you come across this or what what your customers are requiring or what they're saying. You know, she's that one person I have to check in on who doesn't judge me, who doesn't, she's not competing with me. She's not, you know, we're just friends. We're just friends. And she is a friend of mine that you all need to know. So clay beehive, beautiful ceramics. Yeah, Beautiful. Well, um, hopefully in the next couple of months I can visit uh, yourself and Mel and all your other friends around, you know, Beechworth, Aubrey, Wodonga. I mean, there's just a whole area there um, to come and visit with the van. Are going to put a surfboard yeah. on the top? <laughs> Uh, I'm not a water animal. Just for looks, it's kind of that's kind of oh, just for looks, yeah. (laughs) It's um, yeah. It's I don't. Oh gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. It's DIY at the moment in terms of putting floorboards in. That's just not who I am. I'm not that type of person. So I've enlisted the um, help of my father-in-law and just like, I mean, he loves bunnings. You know, it's just you know best place on earth for him so I'm like yep yeah, oh he'll, he'll love it he'll <laughs> love it. yeah yeah I think they're all more excited than me I'm just like I just want the van so I can start driving around <laughs> in Podney. so um yeah so thank you so much for being a guest I look forward to the next phase yes. and whatever that might hold and um yeah go and start that book oh, enroll in a book writing course or something we all have a book oh, in us honestly that is absolutely, absolutely something that's you know, an absolute passion. So I will be, will be writing a book at some point. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you so much for being a guest, Sarah. And I just can't wait to see what unfolds through your Insta and um, obviously see you in person again Fantastic. soon. Fantastic. Thanks, Kimberly. Now, before you take off with all that inspiration and knowledge, we'd love for you to leave a review on our podcast so that we can continue to amplify women's voices in the media. And if you have any questions, we'd like to celebrate a win. You can always connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Oak Magazine AU. I'm so glad we've met and that now you know a friend of mine. <laughs>